When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Today's Always Record is another crossover with 42 Minutes. I would advise uh, very strongly that you go and listen to 42 Minutes episode 191 with Zanor titled Chapel Perilous before listening to this Always Record. Uh, It's a a straight-through continued conversation. Uh, Essentially, what Doug normally would have done, uh, this is the kind of audio that Doug normally would have put into the members section as a Beyond 42 Minutes content uh, exclusively for members. But as uh, I was lucky enough to be a guest host on this show and our conversation with Zenora continued for quite a while, uh, I spoke to Doug afterwards and I said, you know, just, this was such a great conversation. I really want to share it with everyone. Uh, and we, we on the spot, made this uh, another crossover. So you're going to listen to 42 Minutes episode 191 and then dive in here. Thank you and enjoy. Just like T.S. Eliot said, April is the cruelest month. His poem, The Wasteland, commemorated the death of Abraham Lincoln. Here's how it begins. April is the cruelest month, breeding. Lilacs out of the dead land mixing, memory and desire stirring, dull roots with spring rain. Winter kept us warm, covering earth in forgetful snow feeding, a little life with dried tubers. Summer surprises coming over the Stombergersy. <laughs> Hope I said that one right. With a shower of rain, we stopped in the colonnade and went on in sunlight into the Hofgarten and drank coffee and talked for an hour. April is the cruelest month breeding. Lilacs out of the dead land mixing. Memory and desire stirring dull roots with spring rain. Thanks. That was great. That went so fast. And if you, yeah, if you yeah. want to chat a little bit more, we'll we'll um, we'll put it in the members section as a beyond forty two minutes thing. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You I bet. Can, uh, so, I mean, one of the things you mentioned a couple things that I I just want to start with. I mean, so that's something that I knew, but I guess I mean, really stating it loudly is interesting. So that Joseph Campbell became the famed mythologist by writing a skeleton key to Finnegan's Wake. Right, right. Yeah, that was his first major book. Right, and so he, it's not like he's... It's like exactly like you and Bill. So he started... <laughs> it, it's blowing my mind right now. He started with this, this fictional work that apparently contains the whole universe... And he reads it and figures it out, and then goes and shows how the whole universe is connected. <laughs> yeah. And then Star Wars comes from that. Right. And <laughs> earlier, when you're talking about, you know, facing your shadow, you can't help but think of Luke Skywalker going down into the cavern in Dagobah mm-hmm. and yeah, facing yeah. Darth exactly. Vader. Right. And of course, revealing that it's himself. 
which is which is the moment it's like like when last last week you know will and i kind of got into it we sidetracked our 42 minutes and co-opted our guests time by you know having this argument about the power of symbols and i can i can see will's side you know but at the same time it's just just so interesting that we're having this shadow battle right now so loudly I, I missed that. I haven't I haven't listened it's to it. It's not out yet. yet. It's not out yet. Oh, okay. What what was well it might be So he that. no, it's okay, but so he he's from the south and you know, I'm trying to see it his way that the Confederate flag it doesn't it, it isn't infused with, you know, overt racism to him. Right, right. Yeah, I, ju I just had a, a similar kind of argument with a friend here just uh, yesterday or something. It's the same thing, and he was, he was, he was, I guess, taking the more northern um, argument. Like I'm from Canada, and I've I've always heard um, that the Civil War was about slavery, right? But uh, I'm trying to look into it um, from both sides, and I I I'm coming across all these arguments that, saying that it it was actually about states' rights. And, and my friend was like, no, he was adamantly against that. He was saying, no, if you look into it, it was all about slavery, right? But I, I don't really know. I haven't looked into it far enough, right? But definitely in terms of perception, right, there's a lot right. of people who, who see it as that, right? Right. As, 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 a, uh, as, a, as a war for states' rights, right? Yeah. And so yeah. if... if on the surface, for a majority of people, a symbol says something. You know, it's like that symbol's been co-opted, and maybe I don't know. You let go. You just have yeah. To yeah, I was I um I was sort of on a thread with Will and a whole ton of other people on Facebook uh, talking about that that whole issue, and then I. I was bringing up the idea of a symbol which comes from um, the symbolist poets in, in France, like uh, sort of uh, 1800s, like, like uh, Mallarmé is one of the, the big ones, you know, like ev even going back to uh, Baudelaire and those guys, right? Um, and they trace, them, they trace their, their own roots back to Edgar Allan Poe, right? Um, but their idea of a symbol is that a symbol is something that breaks you through like it's a it's a portal to the the eternal basically right um so so i tried to bring up on this thing that i i posted like the difference between that idea of a symbol and then the idea of a sign which i see a flag being more like a sign and signs signs themselves they only point to other signs like they only have meaning in reference to other signs right and so if you start to if you start to argue about a sign like which sign is acceptable and which sign is not acceptable then that sort of legitimizes the whole system of of signification you know um so instead of taking the other the other side i don't know and uh and trying to transform these signs and the symbols or trying to look beyond that whole that whole system of signification Entirely, right? Like, a, like, like, just the idea. Like, how can you ban the uh, Confederate flag and not ban the 
the American flag, right? Or or or, or yeah, the Union. I'm so glad to hear somebody else say that. <laughs> or the or the <laughs> Union Jack, you know, like the Union Jack has got to be the most bloodiest flag in history. Is you know? there a flag? Is there a flag that you can picture in your mind that doesn't speak? That doesn't at least to maybe not to you, but that there's. I'm sure we can find living or or or, or dead people who view that flag as a symbol of oppression. Yeah, like even the Canadian flag, which like Americans, American backpackers put it on their backpack just so they don't get identified as Americans, right? But uh, even that flag, it's like um, Native Americans, they, they, right. they could associate that with uh, cultural genocide, which is coming out now in, in, in Canada, like the extent of that, you know? It's really or people interesting from- how Canada handles their past. Right. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of tricky in a way, you know. It's like uh, like they put all these nice, cute animals on their money and stuff, and have a nice maple leaf flag, and <laughs> it looks all cutesy and stuff. But meanwhile, there's like uh, Canadian mining companies, for example, right? They're, they're some of the worst corporations around. Like if you see what they've been doing in Africa and uh, and South America and other places, right? Or in um, Canada. Yeah, yeah, in Canada now. The the um, um well, I guess that's that's a uh, oh, I, I think the company even has sink in their name, the one that's doing the tar sands project. <laughs> yeah. Um the uh like the, for example the the uranium um that was used in the bomb that was dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki uh was mined in Canada, you know, in northern Canada, yeah. It's like like I've I've had people over here, Canadians over here saying, "Oh, we're from we're from the peace country, you know. <laughs> what are you talking about, you know? <laughs> but then, even, even, this even if you look at right the... to Kurtz, you know, saying uh, the horror, the horror, the mm-hmm. heart. Of, he's mm-hmm. he's looking into the heart of darkness, and you know, what is what is he what is he seeing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then and then um, that's that comes out in the in the piece I was writing, um, based on Alan's video. Uh, about uh, Kurtz right at the beginning of The Heart of Darkness, right as he's telling the story, and he's telling it the story on the deck of, a, of the Nelly, on, which is docked on the River Thames, about to go out into the ocean. And he's saying the heart of darkness is right here. You know, it's, it's, right, it's in London, right? That is the heart of darkness. It was, it's when the Romans came up the, the Thames and had to deal with the, the barbarians, the so-called barbarians who were living there at the time, and then settled and created London, which is at the time of Conrad, that was the heart of the empire right there. Um, um, like that, that's, that's what Washington, D.C. is right now, I suppose, or, or something. Like that's the, it's the new Rome, you know, is, is London. The, yeah. empire never, the empire never ended. The empire never ended. <laughs> <laughs> Can I ask you guys a question? This maybe is a, a a tangent, but Bill Klaus posted an article on Facebook that said um, it was about the Charleston shooting, and it said we need to reevaluate the way we talk about mental illness, or the the the, the way we use the phrase mental illness, or something like that, right? Mm. And uh, it was funny because Doug, we had just had our that it was the same day we had had our conversation, our uh, member hangout, 
where we are talking. It's the conversation starts off talking with that woman who's a oh, like yeah. a mental health professional. We're talking about mental health, and she's saying, "Oh, well, you know, mental illness isn't really the best term, and all this sort of stuff." And then the conversation at some point ends up go. It it starts there and ends on this Charleston shooting, which was a, basically a breaking story in that that thing. That di- right. And uh, so we have this this moment where, and then I see this article that Bill dropped, which is saying, "Hey, to say that someone's just mentally ill ignores the racism or they're fairly lucid. You know, it's not like they're just a crazy person shooting randomly into a crowd. They're shooting with prejudice. You know, um, mm. they're saying I want to shoot black people, or I want to kill Jews, or I want to whatever. Right? It's not." just crazy it's a it's a it's an ideology that we can maybe say is crazy anyway the person in the article makes a point that i think about sometimes and she says uh, I'm, I'm sorry i don't know why i said she uh, i think it's i think it was a guy who wrote the article but he uses the example of the guy from beautiful mind and i don't know much about this guy apparently he's a real person and Are you talking saying, about john nash I guess so. Okay, I think he just died in a car crash, but anyway, go oh, ahead. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So basically saying the person from Beautiful Mind, the, 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 the real-life person, saying might have been a genius, but the article says that that guy also believed that there was a vast global conspiracy, a vast global Jewish conspiracy, hmm. and saying... You know, we can say, hey, this person, you know, do we just say this person was crazy or do we say, hey, he was, it's not like he said it was a global conspiracy of, you know, uh, zebra reptiles from Neptune. He's latching on to something that many other people also believe. Mm, So was the point saying this wasn't like a totally quote unquote out there belief. This was a belief. This was an ideology that was shared by many, many people. So to dismiss it as mental illness ignores the fact that there are many other people out there who are blaming a global conspiracy of Jews. And I couldn't help but read that and think of something that I never really hear get mentioned, which is we talk about Philip K. Dick as a sort of modern day prophet, but mm-hmm. even his sort of, you know answer that he comes to is that you know these there's this these kabbalistic magicians who are withholding the return of jesus christ because they're a bunch of dirty jews you know like is is the modern day prophet also just as guilty of inherent anti-semitism as as any as anyone else you know yeah that (laughs) It gets into huge things, right? <laughs> like, it's almost uh, it, like I'm thinking of Ezra Pound too, and that's 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 what yes. he got to. Yeah, that's exactly where he landed. Um, but he but edited. Not, he, I mean, in your piece, you say that uh, T. S. Eliot had uh, he had like hope in there, and then Ezra Pound edited like the hope out. Like there was no chance of redemption in Ezra Pound's wasteland. That, well, I... no, uh, yeah, no, um, yeah, that's true. What he did with the wasteland, but I, um, yeah, I don't, uh, yeah, maybe you shouldn't have come across like that. Like Pound himself, like if you read the uh, the cantos, yeah, 
he's he's full of hope. Like he's his, his whole idea is that the uh, cantos, in a way, is is an updating of 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 Dante's uh, Divine Comedy, right? But for for Pound, it's almost like uh, those three states: the Inferno and Purgatory and, and Paradise are all happening at once at the same time, right? Um, and and Pound wants that vision of of Paradise, like that's that's his whole thing: is he wants that vision of Paradise, but. I think he was really sensitive of the timing of the thing, right? And so that's he, he with the wastelands. He he wanted to explore with Eliot. He wanted to explore that moment before the coming of Christ, like before uh, final redemption again, right? But then, if you get into uh, Eliot's later stuff, that's that's what he talks to, like the uh, the four quartets, especially, right? Um, so. Uh, I, I don't think that, that Pound was trying to hold that back necessarily. He was just trying, uh, I don't know, he, he sensed this, this period in history, right, where we had to explore a certain moment and then move beyond that moment, right? And I think he realized with Eliot, like, I, you can't just say it was all Pound, of course, um, but he realized with Eliot that uh, to explore, to deeply explore that moment that the... Uh, the wasteland in, encapsulates is it would be so powerful, and and it was, you know. Um, there, there's nothing that um, that dense, really, or, or that precise that captures that unique moment, you know. Um, but uh, so I I don't know. I, I think with Pound though, he yeah he he got into looking at. Um, well, he he talks about two conspiracies basically, and and one is sort of this uh, this benign conspiracy to sort of uh, a conspiracy of an intelligence, right, um, or a conspiracy of the imagination, and and he traced that right back to the Eleusinian mysteries, and he he saw that as being this sort of undercurrent throughout history, like going through the uh, the troubadours and and Dante and then uh, into the Renaissance and then and so on into the Romantics. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think he, uh, yeah, he also saw at the same time, the second conspiracy is a conspiracy against that, which is this conspiracy of, of usura, of, of usury, right? And it's almost, it's almost as if the Jews are, designed to be the scapegoat of that, right? Like, even if you look at the history of the Jews, um, they were denied property for most of the, the Middle Ages, so they had to get into money lending, right? It's almost like they were, they were put into that role, and then since that time, they're, they're used as a sort of default scapegoat, right? And so anytime you, you look deeply into the conspiracy, eventually it leads into the, the Jews again, right? And this, this is what's happening at Red Ice, you know? Um, but I, I think that's a false stop, you know, and, and that's the point that, that, uh, Ezra Pound, to his credit, I think he realized that towards the end, right? That he realized he was wrong with that. Um, do, do you, do you see what I'm saying? Absolutely. Uh, I see what you're saying. Um, hmm. it's funny because I, you guys have hit on these things that I was thinking about while I was at work. So tonight I did a, um. I, I, I work at a restaurant, but it's in a hotel, and sometimes we do, like, uh, catering events, like, you know, like a banquet hall. 
and I'll do that as well. So tonight, instead of working in the restaurant, I worked in this banquet hall, and um, it's a. This is Virginia. It's um, it's a, it's a pretty, it's a pretty much black and white area. Like you don't have a lot of mixed minorities. It's like a lot of white people and a lot of black people. Um, most of the banquets that we do are for black events. So I've been doing like I've done a ton of Prince Hall Mason banquets, which is really <laughs> interesting. Yeah. Um, and a, a ton of black church uh, functions, which is, again, you know, it's just sort of interesting in this, the Charleston thing, right? But what I noticed, there's a few things that have really come up to me, like being in the room, it's sort of like being a fly on the wall. As, as a banquet, you know, waiter, you're kind of invisible, you know, while people are just doing their thing. This is like if someone showed up at our sink summit to just, you know, pour us some drinks for us and we, you know, didn't really talk to them and they just watched what we did, how we <laughs> whatever, right? And there's a few things that, that have come up for me. And one is the idea that almost in this sort of red ice, like the, the, the validity of one point the red ice type of crowd will make is that I don't think there's been a single one of these events that I've gone to where people, the people there haven't said essentially about the importance of black families, like a black father and a black mother making black babies. Hmm. All right. Whereas, again, if, a, if, if someone were to hear a white person say that, like when I look at, you know, the red eyes crowd going, we need more white babies. And I'm like, what are you fucking crazy? But, you know, this idea that like, other races are saying, "Hey, we want to preserve our race." That that it doesn't it doesn't have that same knee jerk, visceral something's wrong here feeling about it, right? Is a, is a fascinating. It's it's a genuinely fascinating point uh, to me. Um, with, with you know whether or not we can argue all the subtleties of it, I'm just saying it's it's actually a fascinating uh, area of potential debate. So that's one thing. But the other thing is that hearing this, even in all these sort of um, otherwise non-spiritual gatherings there, you know, today's event was a high school reunion, you know, uh, there'll be a, I don't know, you know, someone's birthday party, it'll be whatever. There's not a single one of them doesn't have a moment of singing some sort of hymn of praise to Jesus or God or whatever, or mm. they'll have a pastor get up and give a little sermon. There's not a single one that's lacking that. And as I was leaving work, as I was leaving this function tonight, towards the end, I heard this one man say to someone else, he said, God is great. God is great. And immediately, my mind jumped to the sort of hipsterism of the modern take on Gnosticism and, and Doug you brought up the Demiurge right away in the sense that like if you look at the people who historically have had it pretty fucking shitty the blacks and the Jews they've managed to with to hold on to their praise of actually this God is on their side whereas mm -hmm. it's a bunch of young essentially privileged white guys who are like, 
God is a dickhead and he's out to destroy us all. Why can't he just right. let me get a real job? Come right. on, God, what is? And I'm, God I'm not, is I don't not really... good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's just, it's again, it's just an opposite. I don't really have a, I don't have a horse in the race. I'm not trying to make a, you know, I'm not really not trying to make a, a, a point. Point. It's just to say it was this fascinating thing where I was really. It just made me think, like. You could one could argue it's a Stockholm syndrome, or or it's just a like I said, just the idea that through through it all, you have a, a races of people that are still seeing the hope of the paradise as 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 Pound and Dante and so on. This idea of like even in the wasteland, there's hope, and then we have a bunch of people who maybe don't even have it that bad. They have a bunch of first world problems and are going. God is terrible and has put me in this black iron prison. I'm in the matrix and I need to fucking get out. But are we are we seeing are we seeing the personal or the universal? Like sometimes when I'm having a discussion with someone, it's hard like I think you and I think sometimes similarly, Alan, where some people are okay in a completely broken system to paint the wall you know like if you're yeah. in, in this toxic space and so long as you know you've made progress and it's like no we have to tear the building down and then put the waste in some kind of treatment facility that that keeps it away from people for ten thousand years <laughs> we painting the wall is not going to help but we might live in a world where all you can do is paint the wall like Obama was on the WTF podcast, and this is all part of the weirdness that I'm talking about. Just this, like the, on the 26th, it seems like so the president's singing "Amazing Grace," and he's making he's making black people feel good, and he's making white liberals feel good, and you know everyone is just all of a sudden there's this switch that got flipped, and it doesn't feel like the world's gonna end all of a sudden. If you're if you're if you're a, a black or white liberal, because obviously for the conservatives, you know the the um, white right. conservatives they just had their it's teeth the opposite. kicked in, right? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. and again, I'm not one of them, but I'm I'm just saying. Let's be very clear here. For for a segment of the population, it's the opposite. But he of, said that all you can. So he's driving the Death Star, right? Mm-hmm. And he, oh. He is not – I mean basically he's saying that, look, the Death Star doesn't turn very well. You can't go 50 degrees any direction. You can go two degrees, and those two degrees will get you someplace in the future closer to where you want to be than where you, you know, where you want to be now. So like, hey, you know, I put a broken system in place, but that's all we can do. You know, you can't start over. All you can do is, you know, take something broken – and hope that the, the the broken thing that you attach to it. So we need to have Buckminster Fuller for president. <laughs> he, he could turn it the whole way. Yeah, he could turn it the whole way. It, his he, thing was his thing was right. You can't. You know, there's no way to repair a broken system. You need a completely different system. And I and and, and Doug, I understand your question. Right? Is that possible? Is that? Po- I have no well, idea. Slavoj Zizek said something. I can never find it, but he said something like the out of the out of the ashes of the collapsed system, the the phoenix will rise. Like, and that kind of m- moves into that realm you were talking about, ALP. 
where a mm -hmm. self-organizing system will rise from the ashes. Or it, it, it's the star card. But it's, an, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's also the basic Sirius theory. Sirius is of, up there, and it's going to give us hope. <laughs> but, but you realize that is the same – that same vision is the nightmare scenario for everyone fearing uh, an Illuminati, New World Order, like the order out of chaos, right? Yeah. yeah oh, exactly. they are trying to destroy this great thing we had going on, <laughs> you know, this great – this, you know, whatever, whatever they think was so great, and like they're trying to destroy it so that they can take over out of you know the order out of chaos. So I'm just saying there is there's other people looking at that same vision and seeing it as a nightmare. Well, it's not even like um, yeah, it it doesn't. If you look into it, it, it's you don't have to find it as being star craving mad or paranoid. Like there's some very articulate people who are talking about like the influence of cultural marxism on on white society and and how it's designed to break down the family and uh and 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 sort of you you know what i mean it, it's if, sort of like, take the power so, away from the whites you know it's like a, what if the family if you, is a, a, a not a good structure well, obviously, it's not. You know? It's like so. What? Like those are the things I'm talking yeah. about. So, like our idea of separateness. You know, like you know, our little nuclear families. Like you know, it's, the, it's, the the argument goes right. If you well, if you look into really deep kind of conspiracy conspiracy theorists, like uh, like like Alan Alan Watts. You know, not, uh, Alan Watt. Sorry, Alan Watt. Yeah, yeah, Alan yeah, yeah, Watts, yeah, yeah. But he he's about the deepest guy out there, right? And and he's not really. Uh, uh, racist. He doesn't come across as that at all. He's not saying the Jews are behind everything, but uh, but he's saying it's like this this massive program where what what happens is is originally you broke down the tribe, right? And the tribe was the basic unit of of human human freedom, right? That's 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 the uh, um, that's where we could be free, right? And so that's broken down. And and then eventually you maybe have clans like bigger clans, and then that's broken down, and then you have extended families, and then that's broken down, and eventually you have the nuclear family, and then finally that's broken down, and then, and it's just atomized individuals, right? Who even their own psyche is fractured, and that makes them so much easier to control. And at that stage, you have you have a Either a, a brave new world scenario or a, a 1984 scenario or a, or a bit of both, you know. Um, and so, for them, the nuclear family, as limited as it is, it's the last sort of, the last sort of thing to be broken down before it's just you and the state, you know. And that's it. I I I I get what you I, like. I said, you know, when I sort of see that the strength that comes from a lot of communities of, uh, if we could say, racial, ethnic communities, again, whether it be blacks, Jews, anything, there is a strength that comes from a sense of community and like um, an almost uh, collectivism in the sense of like, we're all in this together. A shared right? identity. Um, yeah, right? exactly, exactly. But so Joseph Campbell was, you know, he was articulating basically the New World Order. Mm -hmm. We need a shared identity. Like we need to come together as a people of the earth. And so he was using this, this uh, blue, 
you know, the blue marble moment. The, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. From the moon, the yeah. earth, from the moon, this is who we are. We're one thing. We're all humans together. See, I, I don't know if that is the New World Order. Like, I think that's a... Uh... Um, the the new world order maybe uh, tries to capture that myth, you know, but uh, it's not really that, right? So it's sort like of the uh, idea of no states. Yeah, it, it, the new world order, I think, is a, like an, an like a, I don't know, it's gonna like an antichrist um, simulacra of that, you know? <laughs> right, uh, right, because uh, you know that that's just it when you say. No states. I think when people talk New World Order, they're envisioning a global state. Um, right. But whereas I, I an think anarchist need, is going to say society needs institutions because institutions well, are bigger than a person. Say right, well, but institutions you, you, are scary because they can have so much momentum that all of a sudden, you know, they take the agency from an individual because. You have this megalithic institution. I there, think you a would. Balance. Go you ahead. would have institutions regardless, right? Like you, there's Syncbook Press, right? Like there's 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 <laughs> bottom up there's bottom up institutions that will form. Like uh, Kropotkin, he talked about in his time. Like you can take this was back in the what 1880s or something. Um, you could take a, a, a train from Paris to uh, Moscow, and at that time there was no national train lines. It was just a bunch of privately owned uh, train lines and a whole bunch of them. But you could get a ticket from Paris to Moscow and have it lined up so that you, you could catch a train all the way across and it would line up perfectly and you could arrive in Moscow basically at the time you wanted, right? And he, he saw that as being a, an example of institutions but but self-organizing without without a without central control right okay. without the state yeah. right um and so but then i look at I, my city and i see the you know, beautiful medians you know and and you're in this world that's being that there is this background state that is taking care of like the aesthetic feel of orderliness but way before the state, you had the commons, right? And that right. I, I, would, I would say that I, I wasn't there, obviously, but it sounds a lot more beautiful than our public parks these days, you know? Um, uh, so, I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I just don't see the necessity of it. I'm tainted by this idea of enterprise, that the world needs to be exploited, or that there's less world to exploit now, and so the idea of the, the the savior of the commons would be the state at this point. Hmm. Yeah, I um, I don't know. That's what Zizek thinks, right? Like he he thinks that the the problems that we face now are so great that we need a sort of he doesn't say a world state or anything, but it definitely uh a governmental action, like an international governmental action to, uh, to to fight things like global warming or all these other problems that we face in the world, that there's no way to really fix those problems without that sort of centralized authority. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I, don't, I, I totally reject that model. I think the, uh, I think the way to do it is, is 
is just give people freedom, right? Give people freedom to run their lives and, and not have to work as wage slaves in meaningless jobs that, <laughs> that are just producing shit that goes to waste anyways, right? Like, uh, uh, if you did that, then you, people would self-organize into something that, that makes sense, you know? Yeah, Do you think I mean, of yourself, so like, I, I don't know that, I mean, so we have to be in that system, right? Like that's, mm -hmm, yeah. yeah, I mean, so when we had Martin Adams on a couple of weeks ago, it was nice for him to say, you know, don't feel guilty for the system. You didn't make this. The system's way bigger than you. All you can do is be in the system, right? Mm -hmm. It's musical chairs. There aren't enough chairs. This is how it is. It's recognizing the water you're swimming in. Right. I mean, I, I, I see. I, I'm, I'm, ideolo ideologically aligned with Zenor, but, uh, and and Doug actually, I would say, fairly um, opposed to what you're saying. But I also recognize that, say, um, Zenor and I have had many conversations. He. Uh, move to Japan, like the process, the paperwork, and essentially submission to another form of government. It's mm -hmm. not, you know, it's not an, I, I, you know, in a fantasy, I think I want to escape the American bureaucracy and power system here, but it's just transferring over to another wing of it. Um, <laughs> it's not, it's certainly not an escape from it. Um, and it comes with its own baggage and its own set of rules. And, um, you know, so uh, Zanor has said to me, he said, Japan is not a good place for an anarchist. Um, <laughs> you know, so so I my question for you, Zanor, would be how do you, you know, just like, you know, I, I, don't, mean, I, don't, I don't mean to say that how do you sleep at night, but, yeah, how do you cope with the that sort of reality of the water you swim in being so juxt so starkly opposed to how you'd like to see it yeah actually i'm sleeping less and less at night <laughs> but uh, uh no i don't you just have to make space like make your own creative space that's the only way um and it is it is a matter of changing your perspective uh, perception perspective and and perception but perception um more importantly, right? Like, like being able to. Um, I'm gonna write about McLuhan soon. I'm, I'm, I'm in the process of it. But he's talking about how perception itself is 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 the incarnation, right? Your every moment of perception is is you're basically you're turning uh, chaos into order and back again, flipping back again, like second by second by second, right? Um, and this is what's happening with with Christ, like the the word becoming flesh, constantly, right? Um, to have that sort of perception, um, that's when you gain that that moment of what Blake also is talking about, like like seeing the sun as this uh, um, the Hallelujah chorus of angels, you know. Like it's it's really looking at the world through the imagination. Um, and, the, and of course, that's an, it, it's so hard to do, and I, I'm not saying that I do it even <laughs> like even a, a fraction of the time. I try. I'm trying to do this, you know. I'm trying to do this, but that's that's the only way. I think that's the uh, um, 
if there's a way out, it, the way out is through uh, our perception, right? I am, I'm here in Virginia. I am surrounded by military bases. Like you can't go a few miles in any direction and there's a fucking military base. It's ridiculous. Uh, the next exit down the highway for me is NASA Langley. Uh, on my way to work, I pass, I don't even know what it's called, but it's a huge fucking naval base, right? And I, uh, I have to take this tunnel to work, so I go under the, this water, and then I come out, and there's these huge fucking battleships, and there's all these helicopters swarming overhead every day, and these crazy <laughs> flying machines, like I've seen these, like, essentially with, like, giant drones, of, like, helicopters with, like, four blades, and I don't know, like, all these crazy things. And I can't help but look at it and, you know, at the same time feel this mixture of, like, absolute disgust at, like, this is what we put these resources. Because this is, like, let me tell you something. I am blown away at how kind of wastelandish America is. Like, I, I, I don't know. Like, everyone's fucking broke. And being in Virginia, like, there is total shit there is nothing there is nothing here <laughs> i'm sorry to be so hard on it there's like nothing good here um <laughs> and well you're there huh? <laughs> you know, what, I, what i'm saying though is like in but like i'm saying so people are people are fucking broke um there's it's a, it's a very like industrial wasteland but then i so i see like these things that have money we have uh i had a friend who worked at nasa she uh, she said um, they burn like they have these jets fly overhead. You'll hear some just these crazy like jets rumbling your windows. They do this to burn up fuel because if they don't use enough fuel, their budget decreases. So if they can justify <laughs> that they're that they're using all this fuel, then they'll actually increase their budget for the next month. So that's why at the end of every month, you know, like in a lot of places, like cops write a lot of tickets at the end of the month. Here. At the end of the month, you have jets flying overhead because they're burning up fuel to justify their fuel costs. So, like, there's all these things that are disgusting. But there was every now and then, I am driving, and someone's like, it's a beautiful day. And I look out, at, and I'm driving through this huge tunnel under the water while battle giant fucking battleships are sailing above my head. And these crazy flying machines are above me. And I think... Even though it's so perverse, there's something special about, like, this human ingenuity that, like, I'm witnessing the potential of human intellect. It's just such a shame that it's being used in this way. But, like, right. these engineering feats, I'm, I'm, like, able on some occasions to, like, appreciate them as going – Man, we could be fucking amazing if we really tried. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just that 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 whole moment even is is incredible, right? Like th this whole moment right now, what we're doing right now is in, in, incredible, right? Like talking, um, you guys are where almost like a one side of a continent away from each other, right? And then I'm on the other side of an ocean, right? And we're having a a live conversation over this, you know, it's like, a, it's, it's, it's incredible when you think of it, like, it, and every moment is like that, it is incredible, and, but even, even if there was no technology, just like, 
going off into the woods and seeing what happens there is is amazing, right? But um, but usually we don't see it, you know. Like usually, um, yeah, we're not aware of it. It's uh, uh, yeah. Oh, beautifully said. Um, it's something about you know, sort of appreciating. You know, this is, I guess, Doug. This is what you mean by the paint painting the walls of the Black Iron Prison. Is this, <laughs> you know, nice color. <laughs> right? Rainbow walls now. Yeah. Oh, so can I tell you guys just one one more thing? So again, another sink that Doug asked because Doug only asked me to do this a few hours ago. I was like on my way to work and we were talking, and he's like, oh, "I'm talking to Zor- Zor- tonight. I was like, "Oh man, I've been thinking about him all fucking week and wondering how you're doing and wanted to talk to you and all this sort of stuff." Here's a little funny thing. Um, you started off with this Lancelot thing. Have are either of you familiar with T. H. White, like Once in Future King? Oh yeah, and that's part of my sink is that I'm I'm listening to this book called H's H's for Hawk, and she she built her whole book off of T. H. White. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I, I don't really know it. Yeah. But um, he's he's a gay he's he's gay, and back then these gay men would kind of project their they would project onto animals when they couldn't talk about their real interior lives. And mm. he wrote this book about him trying to train this goshawk, which is, you know, according to this woman, not good hawkery. I don't know, falconry. <laughs> it's like a horror. It's everything you could do wrong, he did wrong. And then he wrote about it. But it's a beautiful book because you know that he's also writing about his, you know, he's writing Absolutely. about himself. Absolutely. He's projecting his interior life, which was there was no outlet for it, and so he had to project it onto this animal. Well, so uh, his, if his you self hatred, his self hatred came out and manifested in this this goshawk. Well, um, so just how like um, uh, Mallory's Mort to Arthur is like a celebration of murder. Um, T. H. White is taking the Arthurian stories. And doing the opposite, he's telling the story of Arthurian legend as a staunchly anti-war, um, like yeah. anti. He's trying. So if you've ever seen like Disney's um, Sword, Sword and Stone, Stone. Yeah. it's kind of based on this, where it's Merlin training young Arthur. But the idea is that T. H. White is showing Arthur. Basically, you have to learn how to live in harmony with nature. And like, so he's trying to teach him all these different things and in a sense getting his philosophy out there, which is, again, it's particularly anti-war, trying to show all the horrors of war. And throughout it, he keeps – Merlin keeps showing Arthur like war is fucked up. But anyway, I'm uh, – so now I'm living in Virginia and I'm having to engage with nature, which of course I'm thinking I know I love nature. But you know what? There's things of nature that suck, like, uh, like, oh, like, you know, the other day, a fucking hornet's nest outside my front door, and I'm like, oh, yeah, how do I that, deal with this, you know? That's, and like, a, that's a sink. We got one right, yeah, buzzing right beside me right now, actually. So, and then, like, um, all these ants invaded my front door over the last week. I keep getting this ant invasion, and I was thinking about this thing that T.H. White wrote where he turns, so if you've seen Disney's Sword in the Stone, he turns 
Arthur into these different animals, but even though in Disney's version it's just seen as this sort of like kind of goofy, you know, like little things, there was a point. So, uh, Doug, you're saying like with the hawk, he's trying to show that you can learn something from every aspect of nature. So at one point he turns Arthur into an ant to experience ant consciousness or whatever, right? And, um, and basically, T.H. White probably didn't like ants as much as I do right now because it's pretty scathing, you know, uh, details of, of ant life. But they have uh, – so I was going to actually make – I haven't been on Facebook in forever, but I was thinking about this. I was going to go on Facebook and change my Facebook profile to this picture from T.H. White's book which is this ant colony that has these giant signs. It's like a Brave New World, 1984 world, and the ants have these giant signs that say, everything not forbidden is compulsory. And then mm. under it says, by new order. The, the new order is, is like the, the, man, this is the mandate of the new order. So it's, but it says, everything not forbidden is compulsory. And this phrase was sort of like, fascinating to me and just like it was been it's been playing my head and i was gonna make this my facebook thing and then i go on facebook and everyone's got this fucking rainbow um oh they just changed the law to be gay you know that did you have gay marriage <laughs> and, I, and i was and i was afraid that it would be interpreted now if i put this up it would be like you know that it was i like it was this funny sink of like I was going to put up this thing and everyone's changing their Facebook profiles like, yay, gay marriage is legal now. And I would have put up this thing that said everything not forbidden is compulsory. That would have been With, perfect. <laughs> people would have thought I was a real asshole. <laughs> oh, they know, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's funny you, um, what you said about the ants, too. Like, I, I sometimes um, feel like that in Tokyo, like going to work in the morning, like uh, really early in the morning, like uh, like getting on the train around six, quarter to six or whatever. And the trains are packed in the morning, like rush hour traffic on the train. And uh, usually people are, it, it's just all business people, right? Usually men, and they're and they're uh, they're all in their black suits, and they're all going. We're going through these tunnels to get to the train. These big platforms, and through these tunnels, and down the stairs, and to these under tunnels, and onto the train. And <laughs> you hardly see daylight at all going up to Tokyo. And it's like it, it's it's exactly like this ant um, hive, you know. It's like this this big ant colony, you know. Everybody in their black suit, <laughs> going, scurrying through in this in this mass, you know. Yeah, it's a uh, it's really interesting, actually. When you mentioned ants, Alan, it made me think of back to my idea of like institution in the state. And so, if you uh, April was in Nepal, and I may have said this before, if you if you've ever seen like a, a intersection in Nepal or some other place, there is definitely an order there, mm -hmm. but it's organic. Mm -hmm. So everyone gets where they're going. Because everyone knows what the custom is, I guess. It's like when you get someplace that doesn't know what they're doing, that's when you, they, it screws up. 
and it doesn't function. You were saying like there's no traffic lights, no. There's people, nothing. No it's helmet. just chaos. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. You it, got I, kids I, on motorbikes without helmets, but the guy riding the motorbike has a helmet because there's a law that the guy on the motorbike has to have a helmet, but the 13 kids on the back don't, and they're all coming to this intersection and going through in cars, and they just it it, it flows right. No one dies. Yeah. It looks like everyone should die all the time. And there's this German part of me. You know, the Germans, they they want, like, precise order. <laughs> right? You come and, you know, you come to the, in the, ever you know, there's, the state has the authority to tell you what the rules are, and it's communicated through the technology and the infrastructure, that this is, you know, but then there was something on NPR recently about ants and how ants are able to move a lot more mass in a shorter amount of time than we ever could because they don't have any attachment to what they're doing. They just are in their little ant moment. Mm. You know, so like you were talking about being in the ants and stuff, but because, you know, and they're okay with bumping into each other too, but they can get a lot of ants from one place to another because, you know, they all, you know, they're, I guess they're all after the same thing. There isn't any one ant that, you know, is like, I'm in a hurry. I got to get through this mess of ants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm just reading. Uh, well, I just finished reading um, uh, Thomas Pynchon, the the Crying of Lot Forty Nine. Oh, interesting. You read? I haven't. That's read an that. amazing book. Yeah, I, I um, Alice uh, Alex uh, Fulton, sort of. Uh, we've been. He he read it, and then he he urged me to read it, and and we've been sort of talking about it together. But uh, there's a there's a point in there where one of the characters talk, is talking about an anarchist miracle, right? And uh, that later gets illustrated by um, the main character, this woman, after being up all night and having this whole, like, this whole sink storm happen to her in the, in the streets and back alleys of San Francisco, she ends up going into this hotel, and in the, in the, uh, the lobby of the hotel, there's this ball, like a, a dance ball of these uh, deaf and mute um, people, like the, a big convention, right? And they're all dancing, and they're all in uh, having partners. And she gets grabbed by by some really handsome deaf guy, and they're all dancing, but they can't hear any music, of course. So they're all dancing to whatever beat uh, they want. Like the, each each person, each couple has their own beat, their own steps. And she's like, "Wow, fuck! It's gonna, <laughs> everybody's going to collide. When the, when is this going to happen? You know, when it, when is every, everything going to smash into each other?" And it never happens, right? It never happens. It's it's the same as like the the traffic in Nepal or India, you know. Um, and that's but, the uh, anarchist miracle. That's the anarchist miracle, right? Mm -hmm. Like the. Um, I wonder if that's right. So then I have this paradigm, this mental idea that I'm, it's it's a. Uh, oh, I think you even mentioned it in your your synchronized thing. The idea of perspective in art and how that's become the thing you know the god perspective and so i'm sitting up mm -hmm. above the world you know putting my judgment of 
concern over the lives of everyone around me. You know, like, oh, you're going too fast. Oh, you're going to kill a bunch of kids. You need to slow down. You know, that kind of... Mm-hmm. The overseer point of view, like yeah. the, uh, the kind of... The overlook. I'm the overlook. The, the Archimedean fixed center or something, right? Like, Three, yeah, what, what a fixed point perspective that makes yeah. the, the viewer God. Yeah, yeah. Whereas before that, we weren't we weren't tied into that. You could you could see multiple perspectives simultaneously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then if you look, you go further back with the um, the cave paintings in France and Spain, and and it, it, it's just like it's just like overlay of animals in every every single like the really kind of realistic um, portrayals of them, like really sort of artistic, but. Uh, but just the perspective is all, they're all on top of each other. They're all overlaid on top of each other at different angles and different, uh, different horizons. And, um, but it, it, just, it just shows that that, uh, that kind of single-pointed perspective wasn't there. You know, they, they thought completely differently. I think Picasso ends up, I bet you he's a similar time as Joyce in a similar place. Yeah, for sure. He, uh, he was living in Paris at the same time. Um, yeah, because I think hang, he's doing hang. the same thing with perspective. Yeah, and he was he was directly influenced by those uh, those cave paintings. Like they they were just being discovered at that time. Um, so yeah, that whole sort of primitive primitivist movement or cubism that comes in with Picasso was was deeply influenced by that, and and African art as well, which is which is uh, um, getting more display. You know. Oh. But it's inter- yeah, it's interesting what you said. Like it's kind of um, yeah. Again, it's it's perspective or, or our ability to, to change perspective, and you, even beyond that, like perception, like our 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 means of even looking at things changes, right? Yeah. Well, so it's. What time is it? Is it uh, 3.30 in Japan? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Oh, p.m. Yeah. The next day. Well, it's the next yeah. day. I'm, oh, I'm, yeah. I started I started in... Yeah, when you started this off and you're saying it's the 27th, it was already the 28th for both me and Zenora. There's only one real place. Yeah, it was, that was your single fixed perspective it there, really Mr. <laughs> Yeah. So you, uh, yeah. So you're twelve twenty-five after yeah. midnight. Yeah. Uh, on the twenty-eighth. Yeah, June twenty-eighth is interesting because it's um, it's six twenty-eight, which is the number of pages in the wake. Right? Oh, so I that's that great. Was yeah. <laughs> I, I was listening to episode forty-four of Always Record mostly tonight, and I mean, it seems like yeah, you guys got into some really interesting stuff. The wake, yeah, like, and now I'm inspired to consider attacking it. I tried. I did. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, Ulysses was one of those books that I thought I need to read this, and so I, I, I must have been like 19 or 20, and I really fought oh, about a third of the way through that, and I don't, I don't, I didn't have a clue what the hell was going on at all, <laughs> at all. 
yeah, you, yeah, you need guides and you need to just press on. Like you just, uh, just continue. Try to read a, uh, a bit of it every day, and then with with Finnegan's Wake now, there's this whole new. Uh, I don't know if you guys came across this. This whole new um, audio project with a bunch of artists and musicians from around the world who they each tackled one chapter of the Wake, and it's uh, it's all online. You can listen to it all now. Um, some of that's really interesting. So you could you could you could read the wake and then listen to those guys speak at the same time, which is a great way to do it. Yeah, I mean, so like that's I I do take in a lot of books. I have a lot of kids, and so I I take audio books as a way of. But I was thinking with that book, it seems like there are some things that are composed both, you know, to to hear, but then also to see. And I wonder yeah, yeah, if, yeah. if you lose, if if you if you he's creating purposeful puns, you know, you won't be able to see, you know, the the wordplay, and you might lose yeah. a level of yeah, nuance from that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't. Well, you could, but I, I, I would want to do both, like listen and and read it at the same time. Yeah. You can get um, an abridged version of it for one hour. Oh yeah, yeah. That's a. Uh, I wonder yeah. how do you turn the wake into an hour? <laughs> yeah, I guess you could turn it into anything. Yeah. Okay. Well. You guys are yeah. You. It's getting late for you guys. What what time is it for you, Alan? It must be. Um. Two. Two two seven a.m. It's high wow, a.m. Okay. It was. Now it's two two eight. My computer still says two two seven, motherfucker. Um. Yeah, I actually uh, and I have to go do a like two-hour drive now. So. You do. Yeah. Where are you going? What are you doing? In your fucking business. Dude. No, I'm. Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my so you know my wife we, my wife and I have one car I have to go to work tomorrow my wife has to be somewhere near her parents house so uh, I won't be able to do it tomorrow you know basically I don't need the car to go to work tomorrow so I'm gonna drive her out to her parents house tonight will you stay come back. out there or <laughs> I would probably would be a mistake too even though I'd want to because um, <laughs> traffic see like People, there's so much crazy traffic here. Like it's summertime, people go to Virginia Beach, right? So like mm. everything kind of uh, can change drastically, um, traffic-wise. So like this ride, which I said right now will take me about 40 minutes each way, could take me hours and hours if I wait till tomorrow to do it. So. Mm. Um, yeah, I think I'm gonna do it tonight. Gotcha. Um, well, yeah. yeah, that's a. That's Here's a, long a question night. for you before we take off. So you, I know that you are academic, and you enjoy doing research and writing and stuff. Do you do you ever see yourself doing anything? I mean, so it's interesting because. I I respect the actual art form of the literary sync blog. Like there's something there that it's unique to sync blogging. Like it's mm. it's its own thing. 
but as far as a, a, a respected form goes, it's it mm. doesn't have enough time to actually be considered anything more than just our little subculture thing. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you ever do you do you ever see yourself playing with more traditional forms? Like a like a book or something like you a mean? Book or, or yeah. Yeah, if, I yeah, it'd be it'd be great. I I have. Uh, yeah, I have sort of an idea in mind, but uh, it, it's just a matter of time, you know. Um, but uh, but the blog, I don't know. The blog itself is 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 a good challenge, right? Like it's a good it's a good way to get stuff out, you know. But yeah, I know what you're saying. Like it's it's sort of it's sort of academic, but it's not academic. Like it's not. It wouldn't be uh, academically acceptable at all. <laughs> what I'm doing, you know. It's like it's too, it's too. <laughs> It's too whacked out, you know. It's like, uh, um, so yeah. It's hard to know. Yeah, it's hard to know what to do with it. Yeah, Bill, Bill suggested I should get. Um, for now, just take a bunch of of posts or essays, and then try to put it together as a as a book or something, and try to get it out that way, like just a bu- a book of essays or something. But I I don't know if that would work. Bill and I actually have had this conversation that I said I've never wanted to say this to you out loud because I know you're I know you're still trying to figure out what you want to do and what you know how you want to do it and I don't really want to influence but I to me it's actually a no-brainer like there's a lot of you know say like um we mentioned before we were comparing you to Jason Barrera you know uh there's type of blogging where it really would be impossible to. It has to be on a blog. Jason Barrera yeah. has to be in a mixed media format because he's using G- gifs and video clips and whatever. Where you, what you're doing are essentially essays. Now, obviously, they're augmented by photos, but even a lot of the images that you're using very often are um, uh, uh, public domain. Sort of, yeah, public domain images. You could actually yeah, still yeah. keep many of them, but even if you there was something that you couldn't, it's not really essential. And I'm sure you know. I, I don't mean that to trivialize your choice of images. No, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. Not, um, so to say, to me, it's it is a no-brainer. Like your writing is so good. I mean, I mean that from the bottom of my heart. It is so fucking good. Yeah, and thanks. um, you know, I think. It's funny, uh, we, we discussed Synchronize, and Doug and I, I think it was Doug, I think we were just talking about this the other day, or maybe, I, no, sorry, I was talking to Guillaume the other day, saying Synchronize as a podcast was an interesting thing because I found, like, I can listen to an interview or an always record while I'm doing dishes or while I'm driving or whatever, but Synchronize, I found it very hard to listen to while doing something else. It's an audio essay, so basically, if I missed 12 seconds of it, I could be lost. I had to actively pay attention, which is great. But I find that blogs are the same kind of thing. It's like it's like the podcast where we are tempted to scan anything yeah. digital, especially we, with the you know you just. I wonder what's going to happen towards the bottom, and so you just start flipping your fingers on the new mouse pads mm-hmm, mm-hmm, to see some of the images toward the bottom. And it's—I mean, it's something uh, I've—I—I—I I, I, I have such a hard time convincing anybody of this, except for the few people that I've worked with where we've actually done book books. Is that 
we'll go over like someone will write it in like say Microsoft Word, right? They're gonna write a book, and they send me this file, and then me and Jason Barrera has actually helped me edit many of these books, right? So I'll look it over and I'll find a bunch of things that I think, okay, we want to clean up how this is written and whatever. And Jason Barrera, his thing is like he's all about like grammar and punctuation. So Jason Barrera will look it over and he'll send me a list of fucking – I found these 200 grammatical things or whatever. <laughs> and uh, so we're, and we're kind of like it's a process of cleaning it and cleaning it. And I'm telling you, man, we will read over these things dozens of times. You know, you just take a book and you just read it. And you read to the end and then you start back at the beginning. You read it again and you start back at the beginning. And we'll email each other and be like, hey, I found these hundred things. And he'll be like, I found these hundred things. And then we'll go over this for a while, over you know, a period of months. And then I will order a book proof. And let me say something. Once I have a physical thing in my hand... I tell you, it is such a different experience that every sentence reads differently. It feel it's medium as the message, right? Every mm-hmm. sentence is different now, and I'm noticing instantly. I'm noticing on a page five things that we missed. I was like, "How did we fucking miss this? We thought the whole thing was clean. We've gone over it a million times." Mm-hmm. But it's the it's the level of attention and importance that we give a printed word that we don't give a digital word. It's a bizarre psychological medium is the message thing. And I feel like, you know, I don't know that you would ever, and, and I will say, but let me be very clear. I don't think you could sell many fucking copies. But I just feel like what you write deserves to be read with the attention it deserves. Uh, and that's interesting. So I, you know, take that as you. Like I said, I. And well, I, I, no one's I, buying books. No well, one. No, they're not. Books. And then, they're definitely not interested in like a synchronicity magazine. But every now and again, I think, what if, what if we did that? What instead of putting them into like a quarterly? I love that idea. Synchronicity essays. You want to? You yeah. want to put one in the fall issue? All right. But you know how much work that would be, Alan. That would be like doing a sync book four times a year. Kind of. I know. I know. Yeah. It sounds fun, though, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I know what you Sing mean. Like, I, I don't. I don't like reading stuff myself online. <laughs> you know, I, I print it off if I if I find something really interesting. Yeah. So I, I I always wonder about that, and I'm I'm impressed if I get comments where people who've obviously read it all the way through. You know. Uh, so yeah, it's kind of yeah. I, I know what you're saying. It's kind of uh, like a, a, a huge effort and futility almost, or something. I'm not, I don't know, but that. Yeah, uh, yeah. I should I should consider that. I I. I don't know why everybody wouldn't do that though. Like with with blogs, like if they, I suppose they could, right? I don't know. It was that. I was moment. saying not everyone could. It's particularly yeah, 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 yeah. Right. The, blog. Why? Yeah. It was instant feedback. It was readers. You know, there was something immediate about doing a sync blog, even writing it. Where I got to get this out. I got to get this out. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then I. I it, 
you know, and instead of like taking the time, I, I would publish. You know, it's like, okay, it's out there, and then I'd read it again. It's like, oh, there are lots of mistakes, huh? <laughs> and then you edit, <laughs> and then you read it again a couple of days later, and you're like, huh, wow, still mistakes, huh? <laughs> and then, but like, the idea of crafting too. So, you know, that's interesting to me where. A sync blog for me really was really like this kind of almost vomiting where I there was so much connection that I just had to get it out now. But yeah, then, yeah. Sometimes you don't want to miss the moment either, uh, right? Um, but then as far I, as like a poem where you're working or like, you know, the idea of spending – so like spending 17 years on a, on a, on a book, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Where you're just tightening and tweaking and making it perfect. Yeah. Not and, and, writing and, a page a day, <laughs> or like yeah. a, a page a month, or a page every two months. Like this is my writing schedule right now. Yeah. A page a day would be great. Well, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's, I, I would consider doing something like that. I should maybe think about that over the summertime and think if there's any possibility of doing that. If yeah. one's blog happened to all of a sudden communicate this through line so the the posts were you know like serialized like it seems like yeah. back in the Victorian time that's how a lot of writers would do it so they were getting paid because they were selling it to the newspaper there's writing a serial and maybe they have some idea where this book is going to go but you know you know the, the immediacy was that this chapter would go in the newspaper well, the, yeah, they, even Ulysses and Finnegan's Wake, That's the, they were both serialized at the beginning, um, chapter after chapter. There's nothing That's new. right, that's right, yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, Can you imagine living in a time, like, as, as I'm saying, no, one, no one's appreciating, I, I, don't, I shouldn't say no one's appreciating, but I don't know, how do you, like... The, the idea of a serial anything anymore. The idea yeah. that we've gone to TV that is all, the entire thing is all there. Like this is the new thing where before your show comes on at this time in this place and then you watch it. And then next week, if you come back to the same time in the same place, you can watch the next one. And now... You get everything in a dump, and then if you like it, you can come back in a year and get another <laughs> dump. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it was the same thing. I remember um, with um, so like I grew up. Me and my brother collected comic books, and you'd, you'd get one issue a month, and you'd have to wait for the next month. And something happened, which actually like drastically altered the industry at some point. Was so they started issuing what they called trade paperbacks, and they would take, you know, twelve issues, lump them together, and sell them as a basically a gra- you know, it was like with the advent of people buying graphic novels. I'm like, well, we kind of have this stuff. Let's stick them together and make like a graphic novel. And people were stopped buying the serials and just started buying the trades. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh, well, do we still print these singles anymore? <laughs> you know, and um. It's almost, and now we see that's happening with TV, yeah, where people can buy a, you know, buy a DVD or on. It's Netflix. 
Netflix, whatever it is. Netflix yeah. pro- produces their shows and they release all the episodes all at one time. I um I was listening to um uh, Neil Kramer who was on the Jason Horsley's podcast. That was an interesting you, one, huh? That was an, <laughs> that was a, especially the end of that was was funny, but uh, but uh, he said something in there which was interesting. Um, he was talking about making money, and he said the um the thing that's working out for him the best now is uh is recording his essays making an audio file and then selling a file for just a, like a few a few dollars or whatever it is yeah um and uh he he was saying that that's making a lot more money than than any book that he's ever produced uh has ever made you know um so that's an interesting kind of model for for people to consider i guess as well yeah but i it, mean we're, i th- i think we're we're doing something kind of similar or not but yeah i i, I did synchronize is closer to that when you're actually reading yeah. copy like yeah. a, an essay as opposed to a conversation but all this all this stuff is interesting cuz it's like the you read Ezra Pound, and he's he's thinking about the exact same questions, right? And he was he was like the he was like the Alan Green of the the modernist movement, you know. <laughs> he was in contact with all all the different artists and and writers and stuff, and getting them all together and organized, right? And uh, like way before, he was into fascism, of course, right? Yeah, but uh, um, but that's, he's that's he's, my next he's, step. Yeah, yeah maybe yeah, he's <laughs> he's uh, he was thinking the same thing. It's like, the, how can we make money for these guys? Like, how can you make it? into a sustainable lifestyle where you can actually have artists have the time to put out their art, you know? Did you guys um, listen to John's guest's KMO? No, no, I want to, but no. I haven't, I haven't, I haven't heard it yet. That was a pretty good one. It was interesting, and he was talking about how what we're witnessing, like, you can't necessarily perceive it in your lifetime but over the course of a few generations you see that this is civilization in collapse mm-hmm. and he, he I, I will entertain thoughts if people say them with enough authority <laughs> right it's like oh yeah this guy totally knows what he's talking about but it it was a pretty interesting thought you know to say uh, you know here's somebody at this point in time, goes to high school and then gets a good job and, you know, has a wife and supports the kids, blah, 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 blah. And then, you know, some more time passes and now you have to go to college and you have to have two incomes. And then, and you know, it's it's now, you, you know, you're, you're at the point where to support kids, you have to get divorced and you have four incomes, right? <laughs> <laughs> and so I thought, well, that's that's pretty interesting. I don't know. It's like... Art is one of those tricky things, especially. In... I just hope my wife marries a really rich guy. Maybe, maybe he'll even support Singbook Press. <laughs> yeah. yeah, need a a patron somewhere. <laughs> That's actually the thing, like the angel patron with the oil monies. Right, like Donald Manly, Trump. <laughs> Manly P. Hall had somebody that supported him. 
quick. Um, I would love someone to say, I want to fund, I want to fund some sync research for a couple years. <laughs> like, okay. Thomas, Thomas Pynchon at the age of 51, he got this MacArthur grant that gives them the, uh, their age times a thousand dollars a year. So he got 51,000 a year for five years and that was renewable for, I, I don't know how, how long he renewed it for, but like imagine that they're getting like fifty one thousand a year from to just to write something, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. But but that's Thomas and that's Thomas Pynchon. You know? yeah. <laughs> none of us are Thomas Pynchon. We've been approaching that. Yeah, I but I don't. Like, how do you get to be? I think. I mean, like that's the thing. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah. Philip K. Dick wrote a lot. On speed. <laughs> That's how he wrote a lot. Yeah. So maybe I should just think book press should invest in tons of methamphetamines. Or... Yeah. Well, that's how that's you get get money, and then another way from yeah. dealing meth is. <laughs> we could sell the meth, and then we give some to our authors so they can write a lot. All right. Yeah, I should really call it. Guys, well, it was nice meeting pleasure. you, Zenor. This was a great conversation. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was great to meet you. It, too bad that Will wasn't around, but uh, hopefully I'll get to talk to him again another yeah, time. Yeah, definitely. Um, definitely. I mean, and oftentimes, when I'm meeting someone, it's a, it's a taste, and then I'll get an itching, and then we'll have an excuse to with 42 minutes since it's weekly i'm really nailed down to like real specific topics that i'm looking into from week to week you 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 guys are like the the evolution of 42 minutes is amazing you know like you guys are like totally professional now it's <laughs> like you, you could be an an npr show i think <laughs> you know? I like, agree, I'm, totally. I'm amazed by it now yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It takes a lot of will and focus to stay on the weekly schedule, but it's so much fun. But it means that like when that moment is done, it is totally done. There's no looking back. Mm-hmm. And so like it really is communicating this kind of like now philosophy where it's like, all right, I have this moment to enjoy this because when it's, when it's done, it's done. Right, like it's on to the next episode. I, I can't, right. And then if I don't, if I don't get in deep enough, then you know I'm not prepared for the next episode. Face what Doug's saying is, as soon as he hangs up, he's gonna forget that he ever oh, spoke to us wow. tonight. No, but then it gives me an excuse to. So what I'm saying is that I I like to have an excuse to re- revisit something. But as far as like, like what Doug does for fun, Doug does 42 minutes for fun. You know what I mean? So, mm. like, I need good excuses to. So, like, uh, kind of doing this whole moon. I, I'd like to have excuses to take things on. I'm going to read or listen to Pynchon's um, Gravity's Rainbow in July. Oh, yeah, that's a great. That's, I, I just did it this year as well. Yeah. Well, I, I read it, but yeah, amazing, amazing stuff. Cool. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Oh, that's uh, interesting, particularly in light of uh, the, the all the rainbow stuff. Oh, the exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Really, really interesting. Uh, all right. Uh, 
guys, such an amazing pleasure. Thank you so much. I, I should really run. Have a great night, okay? Yeah, you too. Have a safe drive. <laughs> Thanks. Be well, boys. <laughs> you gonna yeah. drink a Red Bull? I have. Co I've been drinking coffee while I talk to you. Okay. <laughs> well, you drive safe, Alan. <laughs> Thanks. Bye. All right, Zanar. You take care. Yeah. See you then. See you. Okay. We're the hollow men. We're the stuffed men, leaning together, headpiece filled with straw. Alas. Our dried voices, when we whisper together, are quiet and meaningless as wind and dry grass. A rat's feet. Oh, out there. In our dry cellar. He's really out there. Shape without form. Mm. Shade without color. Paralyzed force. Gesture without motion. Do you know what the man's saying? Here? Here in the fields I fall for my meals I get my back into my living I don't need to fight To prove I'm right Okay, so I do have an introduction as per the normal 42 minutes. Do you have anything you need me to read or you're good? I'm good. We'll see how it goes. I am recording. Uh, I have my clock ready. 
haven't done this for a while. It's 94 in Boise, 57 in Winnipeg, 67 in Asheville. We've got rain in New York. What's it like in Tokyo? No. Uh, well, I'm I'm just south of Tokyo, and it's cloudy and uh, but nice, but nice hot, really hot. Oh yeah, is it yeah. Fahrenheit or centigrade? Is it Celsius? Uh, what am I? Yeah, Celsius here. Yeah, I don't know what it is. I think it's over thirty something. Do you think in that? Oh, you're from Canada. I just I just spent a, a couple hours with you and always record, so I <laughs> I know details about your life that you divulged in that moment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, of course, I know you through this, uh, 42 minutes, I've, uh, it, but usually you don't give much of a background about yourself on, on this show either, right? So I, I, I ended up uh, hearing you on, um, on Pentimental, which was excellent. Oh, I, great. Yeah, so I get a bit more background on on you as well, which I is interesting. Felt really a lot in that. <laughs> I think my hands were moving all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's probably gonna happen to me today. <laughs> but yeah, it was fun. Uh, cool. cool. It's nice to do interviews in, in like a friendly setting, so it's like. Of course, it's still like the nerves are there, but at least, you know, at least it's still a, a friendly and somewhat familiar environment, nonetheless. Yeah, 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 for sure. So Will, Will is uh, where is he? He's in Texas or something? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Will. Yeah, he's at a wedding. So, uh, oh, I th oh, I was gonna say no. He's he's from Denver. I I, I maybe I misunderstood completely. So what Will actually is in Texas tonight? Oh wow. Okay, I did not know that. I mean, not like I have a GPS up Will Morgan's ass or something. I just <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> like I th I thought you were saying like oh okay you know is that where Will is from? Uh. Where is he from? He's from the south somewhere, right? Well, he's from yeah, he's from somewhere in the south, like Alabama, I think. But he lives in Denver. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I think I knew that, but yeah, um, yeah, nice place. I've had the uh, pleasure of visiting both these guys a few times, and uh, I really like really like both of those spaces, uh, Denver and Boise, are surprisingly cool places to have, to visit. Yeah, you had a an epic road trip, right? You went you went pretty well everywhere. Yeah, I kind of did. Um, you know, I I sort of I think it hit me at the end of the trip when I realized that we had gotten an oil change I think six times before the trip <laughs> was over, and that gave me a sense of how much ground we covered. <laughs> I I guess the only person you missed was a. Uh, was Mark Leclerc in uh, in Calgary? I mean, there's plenty of people that I that I missed. I mean, I for for sure. But uh, yeah, I would I would love to. You know, the even the the my trip over the border into Canada was a very short. Like we crammed that visit in. Um, right. But you know, to, to go to Winnipeg and even just spend a few hours with Jake was 
uh, really, you know, I didn't realize how important it was to me until I was there. Mm-hmm. And I realized that, like, he was a very real person. Like, mm-hmm. our, um, you know, I, I, I think of him as someone who's, who's inspired this, this movement a lot, but also someone who, because he inspired a movement, I some butt heads with his seeming ideology. Right. Uh, right. So I sort of, he's, you know, both, uh, you know, plays both those roles in my mind, but to actually spend time with him and be like, oh, he's just actually a cool dude that's kind of dorky and into movies and very easy to get along with normal person <laughs> was a was a pleasure because it took, um, it, it just felt like a, it just grounded the whole, you know, the whole uh, way I think of it a lot more. Yeah, that's interesting. That's uh, that's something. Um, maybe that's a new thing, right? We can see beyond people's ideologies and go straight to the source and see who they are. So much of what we do online is is um, it's it's per- it's a manufactured personality, right? So if you're on mm-hmm. Facebook, particularly if you're someone like like a Jake, you're you are not you're not Jake online. You are. Synchro mystic. He was the blob. Yeah, you know. You had your um, avatar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're exactly that's that's perfect. Yeah, we are we are avatars. We are completely manufactured. Even even if we try not to be. It's not very it's often. not so much as anymore. But because since I was selling this yesterday at this, I pitched the idea of a sync summit to a big music festival yesterday. Oh and, great! And I was trying to explain how early on when we were just finding each other, it was kind of like. It was almost like superheroes where we had these secret identities <laughs> and that was part of the fun but that's that was the early internet where you got to create recreate yourself a, a digital version of yourself kind of yeah a mask um yeah i still i still like that idea I like the um like yeats talks all about that um the necessity of the mask and the mask is almost like a, your anti self in a way it's all the things that you can't really be on your own um, so yeah, I I like to wear that that mask as well. <laughs> I mean, you're wearing it uh, right now. You know? Yeah, for sure. Which I'm totally cool with. I mean, I yeah, so yeah, like yeah, the yeah. idea that you can actually stay Zorro, like your ego <laughs> is good with being just Zorro, like that's cool because I know that I was always peeking out. Like I was all. I mean, I had so many masks. It's cool because I'm not even Zorro. Right? No, I know. <laughs> I know, Snore. I know. <laughs> you just created a new mask for me. That's cool. Uh, yeah, we, when, do we, uh, when do we record? We Are record we recording? right now. Here we go. You ready? Ah, okay. Of course, right. the baby was so nice and quiet, and then I was getting all set up. You guys were chatting. All right, so here we go. I'm going to count backwards, and then I'm going to read the intro. And All right, you ready? So five, four.
four, three, two, one. Thank you for listening to this broadcast from the SyncBook Radio. If you enjoyed this episode, there's so much more content waiting for you at thesyncbook.com. Tune in to our other SyncBook Radio programs, 42 Minutes, Always Record, The Marty Leeds Math Magical Radio Hour, Synchronize, Pentimental, and Sync Quick News. Our newest episodes are always free, and members get access to our full archive of over 600 hours. You'll find all of this, as well as our books and videos, at thesyncbook.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.